Good morning and happy Mother's Day. We are so glad that you are here with us today. Today we want to take time to honor and appreciate all the mothers and grandmothers and all of you women who have a significant impact on our community and on those around you. Thank you for caring for us and loving us well. And so we celebrate you today. If you're a family and you're watching us today, we want to invite your kids to enter in with us as we worship together in this time. Once our worship set is over, we would invite you to take a look at our kids' resources on our kids' worship page. We've put age-appropriate teaching for your children there, and we hope that you are able to resource and use that. If you are visiting with us today, welcome. We are glad you're here. And we would like you to take a minute to fill out our info card by texting new WCC to the number below. We look forward to getting to know you. Also, we'd like to invite you to a Zoom call after the end of our service today, where we will have some of our pastors available to talk with you and answer questions and get to know you a little bit today. We invite you now to enter into worship with us this morning as you quiet your hearts and your minds. Let's focus on Christ together as we worship. Thank you, Jerry, for leading us in prayer. We say hello to all the moms of Waterstone, all the women of Waterstone. We miss you. I'm standing here again in an empty room. Justin and Phil are in the back, but this room is far too empty. We'd love to see you. Hi, I want you to know that on our COVID care page, uh, on our website, is a place where you can share prayer requests or financial needs, and we'd love to pray for you or help you financially if you have need, any way we can serve you right now. Also new this week on our website is a phase plan that talks about how this summer we hope to begin gathering in public for worship again. We don't know when yet. All that we know today is that through May we'll only be live streaming but um, as things progress, at some point, we hope to begin public worship gatherings. This will give you some of our thinking. We'd love to hear your input. Welcome to Love This Book at Waterstone in 2020. We've been preaching the Bible cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. The big story of the Bible is that God made the world and everything in it. We broke the world and everything in it, but God is sending his son, our savior, Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, the son of David, to come live the life we should have lived, die the death we should have died, to rescue the world. And then in the future, at some point, come again where he will restore all things, making all things new. And we wait, we wait in these in-between times for that next and last coming of Jesus Christ. But we have this unique literature in the story called wisdom literature. Wisdom literature helps us understand two things about this time of waiting for Jesus to come back and make all things new. First, we understand that in this time when things are broken, there's going to be rough edges in this existence, hard days. And it's in those hard days that we need to learn to pay, pray our pain. And that's why we have books like the Psalms, half of which are laments, or Ecclesiastes, or a book we'll talk about next week, Job, for the hard days of living in this time, giving us wisdom to know how to pray. But there's also a part of the wisdom literature that helps us know how to live in a universe that's shaped by God's character. 
a book like the Proverbs that talks about how to work hard and live a flourishing life or at least a life of less resistance. And in the moment, we're going to talk about the Proverbs, but first, some of Jesus' select preachers are going to start the sermon off by talking about the Proverbs. Listen to them. to tame your tongue? <laughs> Do you know what that means? It means like, don't say bad words. with your mouth closed. <laughs> no. Do you know what it means to tame your tongue? What do you think it means? Nothing. Good. Is there ever a word you're not supposed to say? What would you say to your mom on Mother's Day to make her feel so good? I love you. I love you very, very much. I love you. I love you. I think you're funny. I love you. Does your mom like to hear you say anything? Don't she likes it when you're quiet? Yeah. You're pretty. You're the greatest mama ever. That was awesome. Thank you, kids, for leading us today in worship. Uh, we want to talk about the Proverbs today, and our text is Proverbs 18.21, which reads, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You read that and you think, life and death, really? Isn't that overstatement? way over the top. I mean, I think we know we make mistakes with our tongue. We, we see it in Scripture almost on every page from Abraham lying about his wife Sarah being a sister to cover their hides, or, or we see it with Peter denying Christ, and we see it every day. We make mistakes with our tongue. I, I read of a grocery store clerk working in a supermarket in the produce uh, area. His first day on the job, uh, an older woman comes up to him and says, can I buy a half of a head of lettuce? And the kid says, I don't know. And so he says, I need to go ask my manager if we can do that. So he goes to his manager, not realizing the woman is following him to this conversation. And he says to his manager, hey, this stupid old bag wants to buy half a head of lettuce. What should I do? And seeing the shock, uh, a look of shock come over the manager's face, the kid suddenly realized that the woman is there. And he turned to her and said, and this nice lady would like to buy the other half. With a look of relief, they seemed to manage the crisis. Later in the day, the manager came by and talked to the kid and said, look, you cannot talk about customers that way ever uh, in the store, but you were quick on your feet. Where are you from, son? And the kid says, well, I'm from T Toronto, Canada, where all the hockey players are beautiful and all the women are ugly. And the manager says, my wife's from Toronto. And the kid says, what team did she play for? I wish you were here laughing, because that's a really good one. I miss your laughter. Hey, uh, we, we know we make mistakes with our tongue, but life and death, is that just some kind of ancient rhetorical flourish? Well, what it is, is a figure of speech called a merism, which says that on the extremes, you plant life and death to say that it, your words affect everything in the middle. The words, these puffs of air that vibrate the inner ear, these strokes and dashes on the paper affect every part 
of our lives, which is why when you read a book about the Proverbs, about how to work with God's moral grain implanted in the universe, wise people know that words matter, and wise people measure their words. So today, to help us learn about our words and living in God's universe, we want to talk about the power of words and the use of words, and then at the end, talk about the healing of our words. So let's talk about the power of words. It begins with knowing God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have had perfect communication and a loving union for all of eternity. They know the absolute joy of perfect words, of how it, what it's like on the inside to be able to express yourself perfectly so that the other can understand you. They also know the power of words from the outside, knowing that if someone blesses you, how that can heal you and, and, and sustain you. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have this perfect communication, and they know words. And then they make us in, their, in, in God's image so that we, too, become what Quentin Schultz of Calvin College calls symbolic stewards of words. Now, I think we understand most days that we're stewards of the planet, we're stewards of our time, we're stewards of our money, but I think often we forget or neglect the idea that we are stewards of our words, that God wants us using words to shape reality and generate life with our words. This is illustrated perfectly in the garden when Adam is given the task by God to name the animals. Now, to name something is to know the essence of something. And so when you name something, you're actually controlling the perception of the thing. And then when you control the perception, that's the power to influence attitude. And then when you influence attitude, that's the power to suggest action. And thus the power of words. Now, we know in our culture, people who understand the power of words are advertisers. They can name something and control perception and suggest action. For instance, when you get up in the morning and need that burst to get going, and you, you, you hop in the shower with Irish Spring, not Celtic Swamp. Or when you want to insure your house and your car, you put it in the good hands of all state, not the greasy hands, not the small hands. Or when you're on the golf course and you want to hit 300 yards, you reach in that bag for the Cobra King driver, not the garter snake driver. You know who else knows the power of words that if you name something, you control perception, influence attitude, and suggest action is the culture makers in our culture. Look at, for instance, at the battleground of the abortion uh, issue. To name something is to suggest action. And, and what is that something in the womb? Is it, a, is it a baby or is it an unplanned pregnancy? You know who else knows the power of words? is children. In Proverbs chapter 12, it says, the, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You see, uh, children they don't have the grid yet to put an adult in, in their place uh, and, and know that what an adult says is not all-knowing and all-powerful. And so when someone, and here's the metaphor, puts a sword into someone, you can pull the sword out, but you cannot pull the wound out. The wound stays. And often adults speaking with children, there's wounding when there's a name put on the child, derogatory name or, or adjectives that tear down the child, those wounds stick. In fact, adults watching today 
are still trying to listen more to the Father in heaven's naming of the essence of the thing more than an adult in their childhood who named them or disparaged them. Children know the power of words. Do you know the power of words? Do you understand how you can use words to bless and heal. What's interesting is in the second part of the verse, Proverbs 18:21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who uh, love it will eat its fruit. And you have to ask the question, it, what's that pronoun referring back to? And on the surface, it seems like, well, it's talking about the tongue. But no, in the Hebrew, it's a feminine singular pronoun, and the only feminine noun in the verse is the word power. And the wise know and they love the power of words to heal. And they'll eat the fruit of those words, how they use them. Do you understand that power to use words to heal? When I was 17 years old, going into my senior year of high school, my appendix ruptured. And it was a serious condition for a time. I spent days in the hospital. Leading up to that time, I had my heart set on going into the Air Force, following in my father's footsteps. But while I was in the hospital, uh, my future uh, changing, one of the elders of our church came in to visit me in the hospital. Now, you need to know, 17-year-old kid, I knew who Eric Pelton was. I knew his kids especially. But the fact that he would come and see me while I was in the hospital, that was big. But even bigger was that after we exchanged the kindnesses, he said, Larry, I've been watching you. I've seen your character. I think you need to consider going into full-time Christian ministry. Those words of blessing changed my life and to this day keep me here. The power of blessing, the power of words. So God says, the wise person knows the power of words and therefore they love them and they weigh them. Now, the Proverbs has lots of guidance about how to weigh your words. If all our words are like a river flowing, the Proverbs gives us banks to, to hold those words and they describe how we should use our words. So they first talk about, for instance, that our words should be honest and healing. I'd like you to read these verses aloud with me, if you would, from the Proverbs. Right there in your home, kids, adults, if you just read these aloud with me. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. In order for our words to weigh and matter most, they need to be honest and healing. Honest because when we're talking to a person and we are, are dishonest, we distort reality. That person is making decisions based on our words. That person is interpreting reality based on how we're describing truth to them. And so it's a one-to-one, -one, a distortion when dishonesty is present. But also we know, because we read about it in the newspapers every day, watch it online, is that dishonesty also breaks down trust in a community or in an organization. And so we're honest with our words. We tell the truth so that reality is not distorted. But also in our honesty, those words become healing. The metaphor is very powerful, like a tree of life. 
That's at the beginning of the garden and the end of the garden in the city. That a tree of life is that we need that fruit from the tree of life to keep us healing on the inside. In the same way, words can help us heal on the inside. Every time for the last, I don't know, 10 15 years when I preach a wedding message uh, at a wedding ceremony, I always challenge the couple in front of their community to remember the power of words. You see, when a, a couple comes together in marriage, both of them bring into that marriage accumulated verdicts of who they think they are. And often those verdicts are negative, very poor self-images. And what happens is when you are getting married, into, the, into your life comes a person who's given this massive power with their words to actually reprogram the way you think about yourself. To, in a great sense, Heal your past and, and heal many of the wounds from your past by the way they use words. And how should they use words? Every day in marriage, the job of the spouse is to remind their spouse of the opinion that Christ has of them. That in Christ, you are seen as holy and beautiful and righteous. And your job as a spouse is to own that opinion of your spouse and remind them of it every day and live in a posture of forgiveness when they don't live up to that identity. And so you see in marriage or in friendship or in our parenting child relationships, we have this massive power with our healing words. And so we're reminded that our words, the riverbanks as they flow, should hold them in honesty and healing. The second way the Proverbs talks about giving way to your words is to be gentle and strong. Strong because we do live in a broken world and there will be times when we have conflict with people, when hard things, maybe fierce things need to be said. And what's interesting is that it said in that time when there needs to be perhaps confrontation, you should be like a wall. That's the picture that a person is pushes so hard against that they break a bone. Uh, oh, we forgot to read the word. Sorry. Let's do that together. Um, would you read with me Proverbs 25 and Proverbs 15? Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You see, so strong that they push so hard against you that they break a bone. But nevertheless, sometimes, this is about the courage to say hard things that need to be said. But notice how they are to be said. Gentleness. What's the definition or the picture of gentleness? What's the opposite of the word harsh in that proverb? Harsh is the Hebrew word for hurt. When you're harsh with your words, you want to hurt the person. You want to win. You want to uh, uh, proclaim the superiority of your tribe. You're in it to win it. Rather than being what the proper motivation should be, love, where you're seeking the benefit of the other person. You're motivated by their good such that you would have the courage even to say difficult things, but knowing that it could help them. So when we're in conflict, that's the question. Do I want to say this for the person's benefit or am I saying it for my benefit? Gentle and strong. And then there's a third uh, quality of our words that, 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 as they flow. Uh, would you read this together with me from Proverbs 25, 11? Like apples of gold in settings of silver, a ruling, 
is a ruling rightly given. A beautiful picture there, apples in a gold setting, the perfect jewelry setting. The idea is that our words should be apt and appropriate. Each of us, almost by the hour, needs to be thinking to ourselves, what's appropriate for my words? Am I going to infuse them with truthfulness? Am I going to work for a balance of blessing versus blasting? Or am I going to compromise on my standards of humor or gossip? Almost by the hour, measuring the appropriateness of our words, but also the aptness. And aptness has to do with timing. It has to do with being able, you might have the perfect words to say to someone, but if the time's not right, they won't hear it. And so two things to consider there as you think about timing. One, usually, especially if you need to say something hard to a person, it should be one-on-one. This is my huge beef with Facebook. On Facebook, it's far too easy, or any really social media, far too easy to say hard things. It's cheap, actually, to say something hard without looking a person in the eye. And so uh, the, the believer working with God's moral grain in the universe is always asking, is this something I need to say one-on-one, just in private to the person? And then I think the other piece of timeliness has to do with trust in a relationship. There are times when there's extreme danger that even a stranger you may need to confront. But in most cases, confrontation always works better in the context of relationship. And so we ask ourselves, is there enough trust in this relationship to even say the thing that I feel I want to say? So those three kind of boundaries that hold the river of our words in place, well, actually there's one more, three, maybe four. And the fourth is in Proverbs uh, 10, 19, where we read, Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongue. The prudent hold their tongue. Usually when it comes to words, because of their power, less is more. Less is more. Now, there's two reasons for that. One is the more you talk, the more likely you are to get in trouble with your words. But I think the second part is this, the more you talk, the less you listen. And listening is the greatest gift you can give to another person. So here's, here's an assignment for you. Uh, I wouldn't recommend asking your spouse to do this. I would suggest you give a friend, someone you trust and know well, who loves you. Give them a hunting license with you and your words and ask him this question, do I talk too much? <laughs> Or maybe, do I need to talk more? Because communication is the goal. There's an assignment. Now, we could probably shut the sermon down at this point and say, okay, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to work at my words. I'm going to measure them. I'm going to evaluate them every night. But, you know, if we ended the sermon there, all we would be doing is encourage you, encouraging you in sin management. Because if you're going to actually heal your words and get better with your words, you really need to go to the source of where words come from. Where do words come from? Jesus speaks into this in Matthew chapter 12 when he says, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. There he's talking to his pastors. <laughs> How can you who are evil say anything good? Here's the crux. For the mouth speaks 
what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If we want to get to the point of healing our words, we start with the heart. First of all, it's, it's taking evaluation. Are my words angry? It's probably because you have an angry heart. Are my words cutting? It's probably because you're living in insecurity. You see, mouth problems start with heart problems. And what's the heart? The heart is the center of your being that drives everything. It's what you love most. It's what you hope for most. It's what you lean on most for security and for significance. It's what you live for. You are what you love. And what do you love? That guides your words. Can I illustrate from my own life, probably very personally, um, I've struggled with lying throughout my life. Usually not like making up things and yarning tales. No, usually my lying has to do with not saying things to people that might hurt them. I'm far too nice to people sometimes in that way, or, or I keep quiet because I don't want to say anything that makes people upset with me. You see, in that moment, when I refuse internally to say something that needs to be said, what's true in that moment is that I love your approval more than anything else. Your approval becomes my functional savior. Struggle with it most every day. And how do I struggle with it? What needs to happen in that situation when we have mouth problems that stem from heart problems? How do you get healing into the heart? I submit to you, it begins and ends with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not ABC, it's A to Z. And we always turn to the gospel for healing. So in in this specific instance, we remember that Jesus, first of all, was our example. In John chapter seven, it says of Jesus that he never spoke a word that was out of place. His, the, the people said, no one has ever talked like this man talks. Jesus' words were strong and gentle, honest and healing, and, and they were apt and appropriate and always measured. Jesus had perfect words. But even more than that, Jesus is the perfect word, the alpha and the omega, the A to Z of what every human heart needs. Jesus, when you love him most, can satisfy your heart. And give you the approval, more than anything else can, that we all need. You see, when Jesus in Christ gets into our heart, he can heal our heart. And we always remember how he did that. He went to the cross. In the room, I always point to the, the cross and we always sit under the cross. Because it was at the cross where this exchange happened, where Jesus gave us his righteous life, where he used words perfectly. That's credited to us, and the Father sees us that way. And on the cross, he also took our sins upon himself and died to forgive our sins. Three days later, walking out of his own grave to promise us eternal life. In that exchange at the cross is our healing of our heart, and thus the healing of of our words. But you see, on that cross, what happened? Well, we heard Jesus describe what happened. When he prayed one of the Psalms, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, think about it, there was a total breakdown of communication between the Father 
and his son. Jesus received the silent treatment. The father knowing that he would die and that he would rise again. But in that moment, Jesus took the silent treatment. We deserve the silent treatment. We did. We're the ones who have slashed the world up with our words. But Jesus took the silent treatment we deserved so that we could get the word from the Father that is described in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children because of what Jesus did on the cross. The word in us and through us is that you are a child of God. And to the degree that that sits in your heart, what Jesus has done, and that we are children of God, to the degree it sits in your heart, is the degree that you don't have to lie anymore for approval. You don't have to slash people with your words. You can tell the truth and you can hear the truth because the healing word of Jesus is in us. So as we end today, two questions. First, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you proclaimed him as your king so that you become part of his story? Because that changes everything, specifically your heart. Do you want a new heart? A heart that is forgiven, a heart that's in fellowship with God. It's as simple as what Jesus, John said about Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 12. As many as received Jesus, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. All you need to say, wherever you're watching, all you need to say to Jesus is, Jesus, I need you. I give my life to you. I want to be a child of your Father. Save me. Say it right now in the quietness of this moment, wherever you are. You can become a child of God. And then the second thing I want to say is that in this COVID time, we all are isolated. These weeks have been so challenging. I want to remind you of the power of your words. Who in your life needs a blessing from you? Who needs a handwritten note to appear in their mailbox from you? Who do you need to call today or this week and just say, I'm thinking about you and this is what you've meant to my life? Who needs your blessing this week? I'm telling you in a time like this, words mean everything. So bless the ones you love. Let me close us in prayer. Father in heaven, first of all, we thank you Creating us in your image, we thank you for the power of words, this great power we have to heal and to bless. And Lord, we all would, we are quick to admit that we've often used this power in ways only for ourselves. And in those, we confess to you that we've fallen short. And we do ask your forgiveness. We, we confess, Lord, our shortcomings with words. But today we're reminded that we stand under the cross our hearts have been transformed. Our sins have been forgiven. We have this amazing power with our words. So would you lead us, Lord, in using our words, even this week, to bless others. For Jesus' sake, we pray in his name. Amen. 
It's been great worshiping with you today. We want to let you know some opportunities that we have here at Waterstone. First, we are still continuing to operate our food bank on Thursdays. If you would like to drop off a donation or groceries, you can do that between the hours of 12 and 2 p.m. on Thursdays. We are also doing curbside delivery between 2 and 4 p.m. Thank you so much for serving in the ways of being generous and giving to our food bank. Also, Waterstone, if you would like to give, you may continue to give um, by texting it to the number below or giving at waterstonechurch.org backslash give. We're so glad that you joined us today. If you are a visitor here and you would like to connect with us on our Zoom call, go ahead and go to waterstonechurch.org backslash live stream and click on the button welcome Zoom. Let's close today with a benediction. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this week. Amen.